Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome back to my co-host who left me high and dry for no. nearly a month no. holding on the fort barely you like a it. like a pup tent in a hurricane. Thank Whoa. you. Thank pup you for coming back. Hurricane. That sounds so sad. It well, felt sad. Aww. I mean, we had a good time. It, w- it was a good time while you were gone. Yeah, it's it always great. better when you're here. Aww. How was tour? I'm so happy to be back. A tour was awesome. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Parlor tricks all across this great USA mm-hmm. with uh, Electric Six, mm-hmm. which is another sextet of awesome dudes. Uh-huh. And um, not that Parlor Tricks is awesome dudes, but we're awesome people um, who are also a sex guys and gals. Yeah, also a sextet. <laughs> um, but they're a diagram overlap. <laughs> The most fantastic, fun party rock band uh, to both uh, play before and also play with. I mean, we, yeah, we had a great time. So uh, tell us what the highlight was of the tour. Um, what's, what's a moment? Give us a snapshot we, of life on tour with Parlor well, Tricks. Well, driving through Red Rocks. We've never gotten as far west as we went. We, all, we went to California. We uh-huh. drove all the way from New York um, and we did... Um, Chicago and uh, Texas, all bunch of places in Texas. Did you eat Kansas signature City. foods? In we each ate, city? we started eating tacos in Texas and then never stopped for the rest <laughs> of the tour. All the Once way. Once you went California, tacos, we you just never like, went back. Yeah, it was like then the constant search for tacos and. To like one up the That's last great. taco. Well, to try to like recreate the first taco, oh, which you was can't um, do that. You no, can you can't do that. Especially when it was right. It was Austin. We we bypassed <gasps> South by Southwest. This was our first time not going to South by in, in a while, and everyone was thrilled about it. I personally was not so thrilled because I enjoy it for other reasons. But once we got to Texas and we're like, we're not doing South by. We're like hallelujah avoiding that craziness yeah it is crazy but you went to austin we went to austin for tacos did you go to torchies on the way we, yes that's yes. where we went fucking love torchies <laughs> fucking torchies yeah so then the rest of the trip was kind of chasing the torchy and we didn't really have another sort of like torchy level taco until <laughs> the very end there's this like tiny little truck on the highway on the where? interstate what state it was on our drive back um where was it from San Francisco or like to San Francisco from, I guess, uh, Santa Ana. Interesting. So on the way to San Francisco, second to Torchies. 
or match for me it was like kind of better it's like just like it's at a gas station you you could so easily miss it you have to like make a point to find this little taco truck but that was i think one of the food highlights okay and food highlights are a big one (laughs) you know when you're traveling in a a van across country (laughs) you're kind of something to live for yeah um and what was the most difficult point in the tour oh um What's the flip side? Oh of my life god, on the road? my allergies! There was when we got to, to when we got, I know it's so <laughs> it's a sexy story already. <laughs> this is so great. <laughs> no, but really, we've never uh, we like another highlight was basically driving th- out west and driving through Red Rocks and yeah. like seeing the like crazy alien territory and like you know there's like just crazy rocks and then there's snow and then there's like beautiful mountains and you just you're just like constantly mesmerized driving through there and then we got to. Arizona and I've never been to Arizona and it is gorgeous. You combine cactus and palm trees and mountains. It scares me. Oh my God. But what? I get it. It's the best. I, I, don't I, rec- like- I don't recognize it as earth. Right. Okay. Right. It's not earthy, but it's, it's magical. It was yeah. amazing. We stayed in a beautiful, wonderful home for our Tucson show and the crowd there was amazing. So I think Arizona was a highlight, but my allergies got crazy, crazy to the fact point where I just couldn't stop. My eyes were watering so so on much stage, on even? stage. Oh, people thought you were just people so thought emotional. I was really, really living it. <laughs> you were. Yeah, I was. Um, it was great. Yeah, yeah. You were like uh, I saw footage of your LA performance. You were very sultry in LA. I feel like you had a different vibe out west. <laughs> like I put it on. I, I was. I like, don't know. I'm not saying you put it on intentionally. Well, we all. But I think I we're all like feeling it. Like I think it was inspired by where you were. I think we were all very excited to finally play in LA. Yeah, and play at the Troubadour, and it was a great, great show. <laughs> great. Yes. But right. I'm happy to be back in New York in yeah. rainy, rainy New York City. <laughs> You know what? It keeps you humble Mm. after Mm. your fancy tour. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get to today's episode. I cannot wait. We've been talking about it for a long time. This was finally here. A dream. And it was with (laughs) Rachel Bloom. Rachel Bloom (laughs) (laughs) of Crazy Ex-Girlfriends. So this is the first actor we've had on the show, right? I believe. First actor only. I mean, Brandy was. Okay. Brandy is everything. Right. And I feel like. (laughs) Probably most your fans are going to be very happy. Just brought up Brandy. (laughs) You all know about her and Brandy. Yeah, love affair. Um, But but she's known. She's in for the show. She's known for the show, which is a musical show. So I don't know. Right. Yeah, I'm just saying she's she's a big fancy Hollywood type now who breezed into the Chord Club to chat with us. Uh, Yeah, about that and music and and heavy boobs, heavy boobs and. um, Jewish geography, I think she called it. Oh yeah, that 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 we that came into play. Uh huh. We grew up with, or I grew up with her, one of her writers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's she's cool, she's and awesome. there's a lot of Emmy buzz about her. So yeah. If you haven't seen the moment. show, have you finished the show? Uh, is the season over? The season is is about to be over. It is just such a great show. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It yeah. delivers week after week. Week after week. Check it out. Song after Crazy song. Crazy ex-girlfriend on the CW. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so without further ado, because that's all the ado that one could possibly make. Rachel Bloom. Is Rachel Bloom. Fucking Rachel Bloom is Woo! on Soul Sisters today. This is crazy. Oh, this is great. We just went straight into it, but I just want to like have a oh, moment. Oh, God. You don't understand the nerds <laughs> you're sitting with. So oh, my this God. This is perfect. Yeah. yeah. I. This is we, great. I love... Okay, I, I nerd out with people who nerd out about the show as much as they nerd <laughs> out. Because I, I just, 
it, we're still a new show. Nerds and, about the show. Nerds about Broadway. Nerds yeah. about musical theater. Oh, Jewish all of nerds. The things. Jewish nerds. You, I mean, this perfect. We're your people. Like, oh. let me say, the first person to ever tell me about the show was a rabbi. The second person was Dara, who's the daughter of a rabbi. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and both musical theater it is nerds. Amazing because I only realized last night when I was looking stuff up that I've only known you, known about you, <laughs> known you. Not to I be creepy. Exactly. <laughs> only known about you since November. It wow. feels like it's been forever. Feels oh. like, yeah, and that's a wonderful I thing. Get I get that a lot. <laughs> God, one moment with you feels like an eternity. Just, can you please get leave? Me out of this uh, restaurant. Well, yeah. just a side step. I just realized, so I was Snapchatting, which we both discovered recently, I just learned. I got it yesterday. Okay. I so said you're my publicist. Like, what? I was like, should I be on Snapchat? And she was like, yeah. And know, so that's like not how really... she talks. That's just my impression of a general publicist. Uh, yeah. And so I got on and I just don't. I know. I, don't, I know. Uh, It'll take you a second and okay. then you'll be obsessed. I can't. I don't okay. understand it. You will be obsessed. It. I'm telling you both. My younger people had to like get me on it and it's amazing. Okay. Anyhow, because of that, I was posting about this interview very excitedly and my cousin texted, oh my God, I think. Dan Levy's wife writes for that show. <laughs> of course. And I grew up with Dan Levy. No way. Doing musical theater. Uh, yes. Dan so Levy's hilarious. wife wrote last night's episode. Amazing. This is what we call Jewish geography. <laughs> Any given Jew you meet, especially in either Los Angeles or New York, or New York yeah. chances are there's one or two people of separation. Uh huh. There um, you go. It's uh, in the Hanukkah Honey video, we. <laughs> There's a video where it's one point where it's like uh, the Schachters, do you know them? They're really nice. And we needed a video of like a Jewish couple. And we found a picture of our friend Callie's dad with like, a, not his wife, but like a lady at like a temple benefit. And I thought my husband who directed the video like got the okay from like the lady in the photo to use it. And like somehow we were really busy and we didn't. And so like, we put the video in the, the picture in the video and within a day it's like, um, hi, my aunt's in your video and she doesn't know how she got there. And I was like, please don't sue us. Was she down? <laughs> yeah, she was fine. Oh my God. Um, but great. it was That's like, great. everyone oh, knows it's, it's, it's total. Did you always intend for the show to be so Jewy? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there was like a hot second where I was like, why does Rebecca have to be Jewish? And then my co-creator oh, like was all. like, uh, Huh? <laughs> yeah, she I mean, has to be. It's just it's, inherent in kind of who I am. And we're telling the story of an East Coast person who's unhappy and pressured by her parents to do well. Like, that's, that's an immigrant family. That's a Jewish family. Yeah. I mean, right. There are, there are several, many defining characteristics about you as a persona versus, and we can get into this, like how much is your persona and how much is uh, you. Sure. You know, but, you know, uh, sex, vulgarity. Mm-hmm. Jewishness, sure, <laughs> sure, and hilarity and musical, musicality, musicality. Yeah. So to take out the Jewishness w- would have seemed. Yeah. I don't know if that was yeah. a thing for Showtime or if there was ever and discussion no, about no, no, that. No, no, no one, no one cared. And I remember actually, like, um, we didn't because the pilot we don't bring it up. At, at least originally we just didn't. It just didn't come up. And I was like, well, I wonder if she's Jewish or not. Do, do we make it a thing? And But is Tova Felchu in the pilot? No, she's not. Oh, she's not. Okay. She's I was going to say, she's later. a dead girl. No, 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 no. So, so I think what oh, happened. Oh, the original. The original pilot. And then I remember like, this is even before we wrote the script. We were talking to that Showtime. And he's like, you know, it's a, this girl. She's a nice Jewish girl. And I was like, yeah, she is. You're right. She's Jewish. Like, <laughs> there's no way that I'm not yeah, yeah. playing someone Jewish. And I'm really glad we did it because 
it's specific. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And all of our characters live in specificity, you know, religion, culture, your race, your orientation. That, that's part of your identity. And that's how you create a specific character. Totally. So being vague about religion, being vague about culture, there's something like cool and colorblind to it. And like, oh, we're all just this big melting pot. But no, like identity is identity yeah. and acknowledging the specificity and identity yeah. is important. It's just one of the many things about the show that makes me go, how the hell did this get greenlit to be on the I air? Have, I have no idea. Right. Because it's, I mean that in the best way, but right. it's like something that all of us would want to make and would think like no one would ever pay us or give us the budget to make something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. <laughs> so when I pitched it originally, uh-huh. my co-creator Aline is one of the most successful screenwriters in Hollywood. Yeah. So already- Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, and, and yeah. I couldn't have created the show on my own. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, the premise was her idea. Mm-hmm. The show is very much her and and my tastes combined. Mm-hmm. We could have not written this show without each other. But when she walks into a room, yeah. there is a certain amount of respect and clout and okay. trustworthiness. So she walks into a room and says, this is Rachel Bloom. She's amazing. That's going to hold more weight than me walking into a room being like, I'm amazing. <laughs> of course. Different you know, story. having her support. Yeah. So already there's a clout there. Right. Right. And God. And then, you know, we sent the finished pilot to all these networks. No one wanted it. It's very hard to get something on the air. It's nearly impossible. Yeah. So it was 30 minutes, right? The f- it was 30 minutes. Pilot. And then when we met with C, we sent it to CW and they were like this. Oh my God, this is so what we're trying to do with the network. And there was music in it. Yeah. It okay. was always a musical. Um, the pilot isn't that different mm-hmm. from the hour long. Like we added some scenes, um, like a couple scenes. And then we had to refilm the Greg and Rebecca party scene because it was uh, dirty. Mm-hmm. The Showtime version, which informs oh, yeah. their relationship in an interest. I don't know if you've heard heard about that. Yeah, yeah. it's it's instead of like them making out because in the CW version they make out and then she tries to unzip his pants and then it's questionable if she grabs his dick. <laughs> um, she probably does, um, but in the the original scene was very much a hand job interrogation scene where I am uh. she's actively like jerking him off and being like, so where's John? Like, where's his girlfriend? Like, and he's like, I, uh, and, and God bless Santino. He played it. Oh man. That original scene so well, the guy who's getting jerked off while having to answer questions about his best friend. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and his girlfriend. So, so I mean, that, it's that, great. That speaks to what a different show in a way, not, a not, way, yeah. not, not, um, in the tone and in anything too substantive, but where you could have, where you would have been going, did you have to let go when when you discovered okay that's not going to be on Showtime, it's going to be on CW, fantastic, amazing, but did you have to let go in a way of the things, the outrageousness and the sexuality and the things that you could have done? Was no, there a moment of that? Well, the original title of Feeling Kind of Naughty song in episode two was I want to grow a dick and fuck you, uh, I want to fuck you with my jealousy dick, and basically it was going to be kind of a trippy poetic like almost like a Lady Gaga uh, Judas video where like Rebecca imagining that she's grown a penis and is like invading Valencia with this like penis <laughs> Valencia whose original name was like uh, Keegan I think or something like that <laughs> and and then I I took a look when we were with CW obviously we couldn't do it but here's the thing because that number was so trippy I went back and looked at the lyrics and it was half like awesome and half like what is this and so the cool thing is like writing within parameters, it, uh-huh. it allows you to be able to clarify your idea. It's like extra editing. Yeah, it's yeah. extra editing and being like, well, what is this idea? What's the game, like the comedic like heightening yeah, right. premise of this idea? And we landed on more of a Katy Perry vibe, which actually just clarified the idea. Mm-hmm. So the censorship hasn't been the worst thing. The hardest thing 
has actually been brands that when you're on a network, um, there are certain brands you can't say. Every time you say a brand, you can't disparage so the like, brand because you have advertisers. Well, like for instance, like in um, in episode 12, uh, it's this Music Man number where I'm like trying to rally the people in West Covina that their landlord is bad. And it was like, um, I say like he's fat catting it at restaurants like the Olive Garden and Red Lobster. Originally, it was like bringing call girls to the Olive Garden and Red Lobster. But it's like, uh, Olive Garden might see that as saying that like only hookers go to Olive Garden, which is like, first of all, I'm very po- I'm very pro sex worker. I just want to just want to say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, like so. So what? Um, so it's little things like that where sure. it's like, and especially because the show takes place in suburbia, it's such an homage. Everything out there is chains. Mm-hmm. So like Jalapeno Jacks, which was in episode 12, which is for the group hang song. Yeah. That's basically Chili's. Right. We just couldn't do Chili's. Yeah. Which is like, we could just create our own thing, but that's been interesting to navigate. Mm-hmm. I don't think in the Showtime version or in the dirty version of this, I would have ever gone nude. The only time I would have gone nude so this music video, we just did heavy boobs mm-hmm. in like, I love the way in an ideal world, maybe. And it's cause I am wearing like a very, very, very thin piece of material over my boobs in this. Just so even when like I'm in a t-shirt, you can't see the outline of my nipples. Um, but you still see my boobs flopping around like in an ideal version of that. Maybe what I would have done is go topless and in a silhouette. So you could really see the silhouette of like bouncing yeah. normal, like boobs sagging into, I mean like that's maybe the one time I would have gone topless. I would have only done it for humor. Right. Same thing with the yeah. hand job scene. Like that was for, that's a comedic scene. Right. Like I don't know if any earnest sex scenes, how much earnest sex I would show. Because it's like, you get it. I, I don't know. I mean, okay. well, it'll be interesting to see what you choose to do outside the realm going forward. Because I just saw um, the live version of the Sexy Getting Ready sure, song. Sure, sure. Which was amazing. That was so fun. Oh my God. And I'm just curious. So this was a live version uh-huh. of the it was, song. It was for an, um, a four-year consideration TV Academy event. <laughs> and God bless. I said to Donald, well, we knew we wanted to do, so everyone who wants, so, you know, there are Emmy campaigns. Yeah. If you want an Emmy, you campaign. Mm-hmm. And so we're doing that. Give us an Emmy. <laughs> and if you're going to do that, you're going to do like an event for TV Academy members, which are like, it's everyone's invited. There are 18,000, I think, throughout the US. Mm-hmm. And you do a panel, a Q&A, and they were like, well, this is a musical. Do a musical performance. And I was like, Awesome. Let's yeah. do Sexy Getting Ready song as a cast. And so like I emailed Donalyn and Pete and I was like, would you guys be willing to be in Spanx? And they're like, yep. Just like, they were like, are you? And I was like, of course. It was that easy for them too? They're just really brave. So down. They're so brave. I mean, full and on Spanx, like Donalyn naked. Donalyn looked hot actually because Donalyn was wearing like was a waist cincher corset thing. Like she looked really Rocky Horror and Pete Gardner just like full on like nips out. So how to go so over. Mad. Great. Yeah. It was really fun. Okay. You can check it out online. I feel like those rooms can be older sometimes, like academy, any kind of academy folk. You know, if it was, they were on They board. were down, yeah. You get people on your side with musical numbers. That's and if you true. don't, and it's putting a yourself, long hour. Putting yourself out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when like you're being so honest. being so naked, literally and figuratively, <laughs> it's hard for people to be like, you know, and like there's already this this following and like a, an excitement about it. So it would be yeah. super crotchety. I, like, yeah, you know. I mean, I have... I have boundary issues in that I have very few boundaries, so Uh I don't know (laughs) an alternative. I also have the luxury of creating my own show 
and being able to overshare as opposed to like being on someone else's show and like, oh, not knowing if they want this image with the show. Like I know what image I want with the show. So I'm not afraid of speaking my mind. Yeah. So they never tried to put another person on the show to help you guys run it, right? No. It was always just the two of you, full control. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I think originally, due to Aline's time, we were going to try to find a showrunner so Aline could also do movies. Yeah. And then she was like, fuck it. I love She's like, more fun is, cool. yeah. is there to be yeah. found. How did it go from half an hour to an hour? Um, well, like in the pilot. Like what was, why did it go longer? CW only does hours. Oh, is that true? Yeah, oh, they don't do it. But, but we went from a cable half hour, 30 minutes to a network hour, which is 39 so the same. to 42. <laughs> okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like doing a cable half hour with songs. Okay. So it's good. It gives us more room for B stories and yeah. getting to see the other characters. And then the musical numbers are so elaborate sometimes that again, I'm like, how do they get the budget for this? We squeeze it. We yeah. have an amazing line producer. Okay. It's a very ambitious show. We have people who are willing to work so hard. Sarah Kaplan, our line producer, makes magic. Uh-huh. And the thing is like, once we know our parameters, we can write to that, right? Okay. So if you tell me, um, and, and, and the people who write the songs, we have Adam Schlesinger, who's a, a genius and amazing. He's our executive music producer. Mm-hmm. And he uh, co-produces all the tracks. He writes a lot of the tracks. And writing the songs is some combination of him, me, and Jack Dolgen, who's on staff and co-wrote and produced many of my songs when I was on YouTube. And so it, like, we write a song, and then if it's like, you can only do the song taking place in a cardboard box, we'll make that work. Mm-hmm. I just need strict parameters because otherwise if you tell me write whatever you want I'll write like the most pie in the sky if it serves the genre but for instance like um, Billboard just featured this this song I could if I wanted to which Uh is like a grunge you know angsty song that song always needed to be just kind of one take a guy walking through the streets because that's what the genre is but Heavy Boobs is a music video right and that one almost seems easier to do, the music video, because it's a lot of green screen stuff or just easy, easier or I don't know. I wasn't on set for I could if I wanted to. I could if I wanted to was hard because it's one take. Right. Yeah. Um, it depends on the song. Yeah. Totally. It just depends. I mean, the thing about the music videos is, you know, exactly what you're filming. And so it's not like in every location I do a pass of the song. We definitely have one location where we do what's called a cover our ass shot, where it's like, uh-huh. let's get me doing the song in this location just so we have it. Yeah. But like for little things where it's like in the classroom with the bags of yellow fat, I know exactly what I want in there. So it's actually pretty efficient shooting. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of the music, a, a fair amount of the music video is just these solo shots of me in slow motion, like with my boobs being heavy. And that was just t- a minute of me dancing alone, trying to get my boobs to swing crazily <laughs> to kind of cover our ass with gaps. <laughs> right. I was also worried about that music video being sexy. Um, you did and the, not want it to be sexy. No, right? no, no. I wanted to. I wanted to be very unsexy. And so the dance was a ama- the the choreography. Our choreographer Catherine Burns is amazing. And even after the dance, I was like, "Can we just get a shot of me swinging my boobs so crazily that like it'll remove any doubt, <laughs> like and looking pained, just so we need to?" And we ended up using it, which is great. So That's I awesome. really in songs where like. It's not supposed to be sexy. I want to make sure that like we are getting footage that is so unsexy. So cringy. Just, just so we have it. 
so that we have options in the editing room. Yeah. And this was a song that you knew, like, you know how an artist will put out an album and they'll be like, I had no idea which would be the hit single. You had a sense like this is going to make a bit of a splash. It well, just it, has that content. It's been a day. And here's what it is. It's very universal. It's very universal. I think for women with big boobs, it has the word boobs in it. The title grabs, right? So one of the other songs I'm proud of, I'm the villain in my own story, is amazing. Mm -hmm. But it's not topical. It's part of the plot. I'm the villain in my own story is like, that's a cool title. It's not, I kind of at this point know what's going to in my head what'll pop. I don't choose to do it a lot. Like if I wanted every episode to go viral, every every, every song to go viral, (laughs) it would just be like dick, dick, penis, penis, boobs, boobs, boobs. Or it would be like, super topical right it'd be yeah, about the yeah. election or something which right. we actually couldn't do and so did you try no okay i can't i can't the can't. topical st- is hard um we also film it months in advance right yeah um but, but, right, but, but right. with this one i was like and we weren't trying to go viral with it i just really like this idea but i was like okay well if a song is going to like really break out because sexy getting ready song's been our biggest so far and uh-huh. that one also like has the word sexy in it it's it's universal, like it, it touches on like a universal theme. Yeah. Um, so I I kind of foresaw this, and I'm just I'm also really proud of the song. I'm yeah. I'm really, um, I'm really I was I this is a song that I was the main writer of, and I'm I'm really proud of it. That's awesome. Um, I mean, another one of our hits recently has been "Getting By," which that's all Adam Schlesinger, uh-huh. and that song's fucking amazing. And the someone came out as by and sent and posted a an acoustic beautiful cover of her singing getting by like in a folksy acoustic way and it's beautiful and god like adam should be so proud of of how that song is going over what yeah. a wonderful arc that was too yeah amazing about it and there are many by. like male by characters right. on tv no if any like no Frank it was so underwood f- maybe, yeah. but <laughs> right. it's never said well, there's, out this, loud. there's this trope of like that I didn't realize until the, the episode aired of uh-huh. like the evil by guy where it's like, and I've seen this on numerous shows of the guy who's like quote unquote straight. Uh-huh. And then you see him sleep with a guy for like power yeah. or to get what he wants. Yeah. And the implication being like, he do anything, yeah, he'll stop even fuck a dude. And how gross and crazy is that? Right. Totally. And I, you know, I have by friends and that's just obviously not, Right. What it is. And it also kind of addresses the notion that only women can actually be bi, that yes, guys absolutely. can't be bi. Right. It attacked and, that as well. And that's what was interesting is because Daryl is so, especially because of Pete Gardner's portrayal, Pete Gardner's portrayal uh-huh. is such an optimistic character, but there's a sadness there. Yeah. And we were like, well, what is that sadness? Sexual identity is, is, a, is often a big part of someone not realizing their true self. Yeah. And we were like, well, being gay, but he, he was married to his wife and he loved his wife. And we don't want to like say that like, that he, was a that was a sham. Yeah, and, and it's not like relationships where you end up being gay or a sham per se, but like he he did love his wife and his wife did break his heart in the episode where he finds out she'd been yeah. cheating. And so So you didn't know that he was gonna be bi and we, we did. Oh, you did. We did. We we kind of knew we, we we knew when it went to series and then in episode five we knew. Got it. And that was partially because when we made episode five, um we were like he he and his wife had a great relate. He was very in love with her. Yeah. And she broke his heart. So let's talk about this 
kind of Trojan horse aspect of the show, even from its title. That's such a you TV. Know? That's such a TV executive term. That's great that you say that. Uh, I used to work at the Hollywood Reporter. It's so wonderful. It's vomiting out of me. It's no, no, no. It's uh, just like every other. I feel like there was a while where every meeting was like, "Listen, we're going to Trojan horse it." You know what so. I think started it? Well, I, for me, I think it was Genji Cohen being like, "We're making it seem like it's a show about like women in prison and women like fucking in prison." She was like, "But it's a Trojan horse for all these amazing stories about mm. minorities." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh, that's a cool idea." And now I feel like I've heard it about every show since. But yours is also a Trojan horse show um, because, uh, I mean, just from the title, Super X or Super X Girlfriend, Crazy X Girlfriend. Some people might be like, that's not very feminist, right? But it's actually an extremely feminist show. Yeah, it's so funny because from our point of view, it was always such a like the title's so like the title's so like a generalization. It's like it's like um dumb bitch or like (laughs) or like chocolate chocoholic (laughs) I don't know it's so like trite in a way that like there was no alternative for it was always like well let's look under this label yeah so the idea that people would take it at face value and that's why the show's called not called my crazy ex-girlfriend and whenever someone calls it that I'm just like um excuse me it's crazy (laughs) ex-girlfriend um it's written that way in a lot of uh, places I I can't even I can't (laughs) No my guys, like no my. I just my, it's just it's just take one second. Right. <laughs> it changes it. It totally changes it. It changes yeah. it because it ma- it labels her an object. Yes. And it makes it that wild sketch character where you're like, "Oh, look at her. She's so funny and crazy. Bitches be crazy." And that's not what it is at all. It's saying women Come here. Let's discuss how love makes us crazy. Let's discuss why men call us crazy. Right. Let's discuss how men are crazy. What does crazy even mean? What does love yeah. mean? So, but what an interesting Rorschach test for all of us who are adding that word my. to it. Yeah, you know? right. And and you know, and I wonder also if the show had always been with like an edgy cable network, if people uh-huh. would have assumed. Yeah, I think it would have been different. The deconstruction, but the because we're on a network, yeah, right? You know, you take things at face value yeah. more. It's about crazy bitch, right? Exactly, but I think the title's great. And like, what else would you call the show? Like Rebecca, that's a Hitchcock movie. <laughs> West Covina, huh? Um, moving to West Covina for love, what? Uh, romantic musical comedy, what? So I don't know. <laughs> nope, that was it. You yeah. got it. So how well did you know West Covina? Because I have a friend who's from that area, and she great. said it's insanely specific and accurate. Sure. So well. I was in love with a guy who lived in Glendora, which is the city next to West Covina, because I grew up in Southern California. Ah, uh-huh. So we knew we wanted to set it kind of in the San Gabriel Valley area. And then um, we Aline was like, the, the town, West Covina is such a funny name. Yeah, it is. And we did a little research about it. And then we went, before we even pitched the show, we went to West Covina. Uh-huh. And we just started doing a ton of research. <laughs> and... That day, and you were like, inspired. "This place is so weird." Yeah, so did we, it have like a strange, like a like a, a distinct character? So, yeah. so home base is based on this real place, Big League Dreams, which is in West Covina. Although some people are like, "No, it's in Covina," which no, it's in. Okay, just calm down. <laughs> and Big League Dreams is a giant kids sports complex that kids from all over Southern California do like big little league games there. Okay, and it's so big there are four fields and there are two bars, full alcohol bars. Where we walked in in the middle of the day, was it was a weekday afternoon, uh-huh. maybe it was a weekend, weekend afternoon, and parents were getting trashed. And we were like, this is where Greg works. <laughs> we were like, this <laughs> is totally where Greg <laughs> works. Yeah. So, yeah, just the more research we do, and I, we've since gone back a couple times, we filmed the pilot there, 
I went and scouted there right before we wrote the show. And so it's just, we've immersed ourselves in it. Yeah. And you can tell the world is so fully realized. The little details in every, every character, every aspect of it, that's like what makes it so, you want to just touch it and like, and live in it. It's very, very real and visceral and, and, and fully, fully formed. And that's so much due to Aline. Cause when Aline and I started working together, I come from a sketch alt comedy background, um, where like, where it's like, okay, what's the premise? What are the jokes? And she was like, well, what's, what was Rebecca's childhood like? Let's talk about her favorite foods. Let's talk about where she is now in a way that I'd never thought about character mm. and forever changed the way I write now. Like mm-hmm. I can't think about character in the kind of looking back on it vague ways I used to. Right. And so that specificity really is, comes from Aline just, just being amazing with character and kind of her asking the, sometimes like her asking the questions and me responding where it's like, well, what about this? And I'd be like, well, I guess she blah, 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 blah. It's like, what about this? Well, I guess she would do that. You know? How fun. I mean, it's, and I imagine a lot of that comes from needing to fill an hour because when you have an hour, you really get to stretch out, explore these people in a way that when half hour sitcoms, traditional sitcoms, you don't really get to do. And, you know, you could watch the show. You could come in on a given episode. It's going to be funny. You're going to laugh out loud, but you really are following a journey of people. Not only the lead character, but all of the characters are on a really specific journey. And yeah. and there's details within all of that that you want to follow and just little painful jokes details. that come back. Right. Young painful Rebecca details. is so painful oh, for me. She's so good, right? <laughs> it like hits way too close to home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Middle school is hard. <laughs> Middle school is the worst time. Okay, can we take it all the way back there? Middle school in Manhattan Beach. Yes. Oh, wow. Because let me just tell you, if you, if I was a young middle schooler right now and you, the, you came out, the show came out and I discovered you, I would be, my jaw on the floor, I would be flipping out. I'm already flipping out and I'm older oh. than you and I'm already like a, such a huge, deep admirer and fan. But for kids coming up and having this role model be someone who loves Broadway, is immersed in Broadway and that traditional unmainstream thing that you're now kind of making mainstream mm-hmm. and bringing, so like Broadway being the least sort of edgy thing <laughs> sure. happening, yeah. you know, all of these elements that are being brought up to the front by this beautiful, powerful woman. Um, it's, it's the just, ultimate message of it's all going to be okay. Oh my God. I mean, it's like, oh, do, do you. you, do you, first of all, do you feel that way? Do you, do do you have young fans that are like, oh my God, like, I mean, I idolized totally. Ben Midler, you know, to- who was right. <laughs> totally, so, totally. And actually the, 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 the thing it was like not yeah. remote. I, I mean, love Ben Midler forever. She's like my woman That's forever. Not middle school. Midler. She's Ben Midler. I'm not trying to make, she was not that, green, but then. she was, <laughs> I was into Bette Midler in middle school. I mean, I, oh was, my God. I was tortured in middle school for liking musical theater. And my first concert yeah. was Bette Midler at the Staples Center. Oh my really? God. Yeah. Yeah. Are you evaporating right now? Yeah. No, it's <laughs> like, we're I mean, the same. I am, we I am a, I am, and I say I'm a gay man to not uh, marginalize the plight that being, I have never had to come out of the closet. I'm not appropriating gay culture, only saying that there are aspects of me Uh that remind me of uh, little gay boys. Yes. So interesting, as opposed to just like a young girl who loved. I just feel, I just, I just, I don't know. There's, there is a dog whistle thing with me and, and gay men, and I don't know what it is. Um, and again, the, I have never struggled with coming. There are so many other struggles. I just remember no, 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 that article. I, I remember that article that someone wrote. Um, an African American lady wrote wrote a great article that was like, bl- "Gay men stop appropriating black female culture." Right. Where That's it was like, you know, 
kind of gay guys being like, uh-uh. And, yeah. and yeah, it's my impression of black female <laughs> culture. But it was like, you've never been a woman of color. You don't know what it's like. And, yeah. and so like, I'm very conscious to not be like, you know, where are my gays? Right, right, or, right. Like, or like, oh my God, I'm such a gay man because I've never had that experience. It's like a very Alana so funny. thing to do. Which was on Broad City. That yeah, they oh, that's finally called out the appropriation. Right. Thing. Who are you yeah. roomed with? For uh, Alana, Alana Glazer and I were roommates for a year and a half. That's friends. crazy. Okay. And that I got to catch up world. on Broad City, Broad City and that doesn't surprise me that they would say that and then call out the appropriation. Yeah, yeah, Alana absolutely. comes from the same thing where like she has a lot of gay friends but like is very hyper aware, us both being liberal Jews, <laughs> of like, <laughs> of well, everything. sure, I can appropriate these things but like I also know, um, I'm aware of like, where I am and like what my own experiences have been versus the people I'm appropriating. Yeah, yeah, Broad right. City's amazing. Amazing. Um, and she's incredibly smart. Where were you both in your lives when you were living together? We we were the same year at NYU. Okay. And were you friends in school? We were, f- she, we were in different schools with NYU, but we took UCB at the same time and we were on a short-lived Whoa. outside improv group at the same time. What? So I ran into her. She came to see the play I directed, the musical I directed my senior year, which was very nice. Uh-huh. And she was like, yo, what are you doing for roommates? My friend and I are looking for a roommate. And I so love I, your impression. I wish you could see I her impression. Her. She just did an Alana, like not like unwittingly oh, did sure. like her arms. She's like, like, yo, <laughs> I'm looking for a roommate. Um, and so I roomed with her and her friend, Matt Stapira, who's a writer for BuzzFeed. Uh-huh. Um, and then I was like barely there because we lived in Brooklyn. I had just started dating my boyfriend, now husband. So I was always at his place in the West Village. Where in Brooklyn was it? Uh, on Bank Street. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're, we're in Brooklyn. Brooklyn uh, we yeah. lived at 20th and 4th. 20th and 4th. Sunset Park. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now is probably now it's super like South Slope. Exactly. <laughs> I think they called it like South Park Slope, but no, it's yeah. Sunset Park. Yes. And um, yeah, she's great. That's she's, cool. She's hilarious. Um, yeah. Um, so... But at the time when you were a little girl, just bring, yeah, it, back. bring it back. Sure. <laughs> um, you didn't feel then, oh, I'm like a little gay man. You felt I'm a girl who feels sort of isolated I'm in this. I'm a girl who feels this weird. Yeah, it wasn't until I started meeting. Because no one was out when I was in middle school. But were you doing musical theater? And yeah, like, yeah. Were there other, so what was it like in your home? Like, did, were your parents, did your parents play sure. you know, Broadway? My, yeah, my, well, my grandfather was an amateur theater director and stand-up comedian. And so he would play a lot of show tunes for me. My mom played piano. So like my house was like always with show tunes and I'm an only child. So like when you're an only child, you're kind of like a little adult. And so I absorbed like my parents' interests and my grandparents' interests. Um, So like singing in the rain. Um, That's the other thing that gets better with time. I was also an only child and it was like a stigma when I was younger. And I used to be like afraid to tell people that I was an only child. Yeah. But now it's okay. I had imaginary brothers and sisters. Did you? My imaginary brother and sister, my imaginary sister was Pippi Longstocking. And my imaginary brother was Kevin McAllister from Home Alone. (laughs) Oh, He was my imaginary boyfriend. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. He was like my first celebrity crush. The right. first picture I ever cut out, Macaulay Culkin. Aww. He was <laughs> I never went Aww. for kids. I went straight to the grown-ups. Michael J. Fox and Bette Midler. <laughs> I was like, Your you're my first friend. I, like, wrote, I invited Bette Midler to my birthday party. Did you no. write her a letter? I did. And she wrote back. Someone wrote <gasps> back from her. Yeah, thank what? you, darling. What address I can't did you make it, it but thank you for inviting me with like a signed autograph picture. Whoa. You know, um, as a kid, you think it's like her. She and I, I haven't been to voice lessons in a while. I'm going to go back because I had a time, but she and I have the same voice teacher, which I'm just like, Whoa. I just like, Whoa. like I vomit every time I say it. It's so exciting. <laughs> Whoa. Who is that? 
Um, I don't know if you could say it. I, can you say it? Yes, I No, his name's Eric Vitro. I think I can say that. That's awesome. not a secret thing. He's oh, great. Yeah. Real well, nice. outed him now. It's also how I met Beth Bears from Two Broke Girls, who's very nice. She was leaving a voice lesson, and I was like, oh, hey. <laughs> and that was your meeting? Yeah. Okay. And she was like, oh, hey, you. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Celebrities meeting celebrities. <laughs> yeah. My show wasn't even on the air yet. So I was like, oh, like, I'm going to have a show. I'm going to be someone yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be important. <laughs> Remember this face? Uh, so, so then you went to Tisch for college, mm-hmm. and is that when you started to find your people? I found them in high school. High school, I got okay. a lot more popular. Um, not to brag, but I was on homecoming court. <laughs> oh, um, but well, not from things pop- really turn around. Not from popularity. Like I went to a school that my middle school was horrible, like socially, and then high school it got so big, like no one cared anymore if you were different. And so, mm-hmm. and also the theater program was really good. So I started to get the leads in all the plays, which like became a cool thing finally. So like, what were they? What place was I in? Yeah. Um, let's let's do it. Well, let's go from beginning. <laughs> let's go from beginning of high school to the last. So I okay, end with the best. It. Okay. Um, freshman year, I was a dance hall hostess in Sweet Charity. Oh, um, sophomore year, so I was good. Queenie in the show Honk, the musical retelling of The Ugly Duckling. Um, hey. And then I was a uh, 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 doo wop girl in Little Shop of Horrors. Nice. We yeah, extended it shows. from three to six. You have to have a good voice for that. You do. And I was the top harmony. So whatever. <laughs> Were you like the Gina? Wasn't that Gina in the movie? From Martin. Well, yeah, it's hard. No, but okay. also because there were six of us instead of three. Okay. Because we wanted to give as many people parts. Yeah. Okay. Junior year is where it started to really heat up. I was an ensemble member in the Laramie Project. We did the Laramie Project. Nice. Wow. Um, so I was like kind of, I did a bunch of roles in Laramie. And uh-huh. then I was the witch in Into the Woods. Oh, badass. Yeah. Whoa. And then I was, the an uns- I was kind of just like a, one of the leads of Schoolhouse Rock Live. There's really no like lead. Like I had a lot of songs. I sang Suffering Till Suffrage, which is the female, which is the feminist song. And then and then I was um I was Roxy Hart in Chicago. Oh, fuck oh yeah. damn. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. It's really fun to see like because I didn't have sex until sophomore year of college. And Roxy Hart is like that whole plot is like mm-hmm. she's fucking someone and shoots him. And she has a whole monologue about how when she's making love to her husband, like it's a very sexual role. And it's great when you see me do her monologue where it's like, when we went to bed and he made love to me, like he was ah oh, fixing a carburetor or something. And I was like, <laughs> I love you, honey. I love you. And it's like, I don't, you could tell, like, I just didn't know what sex was. And so it was video like, so that that? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Oh my God. That hadn't kicked in yet. There was a whole element under the surface yet to I, be discovered. I was a very, from the very young age, I was very like, I had like my first serious crush started when I was like seven years old. And I remember having like very vivid sex dreams starting at like eight or nine, but I wasn't ready to actually have sex. Like I was, it was that struggle between like being super horny and then like, nah, I'm not ready to touch a pee pee. Um, <laughs> so uh, there was, so I was like very like sexual and thought sexuality was funny, but didn't necessarily like have sex right away. Um, and it was fine. I've never, I never felt like I waited too long or yeah. like I've, I also, my parents are really honest with me about sex. So I think I really took from a very young age, a responsibility for my body and the connotations of everything and understanding. It's a good lesson to parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm so like, if I had to like pick a cause, I would say like rallying against abstinence only sex education, I think is like literally the devil's work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work well. No, it doesn't work well. Keeps women ignorant of their bodies. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just, I feel like because I've known what sex and my body did for like so long, I've never felt like I made a decision that like was like, oh, I wish I'd known more about this. Yeah. You know? 
And I also am just one of the lucky women who's never been sexually assaulted because what it's like one in four or something. So that's also just me being lucky. Yeah. And not, you know, not being at the bar where my drink something was slipped in my drink. Right. And you know, I it's right. It's amazing. Uh, now that people have started to be honest about it, uh-huh. how I realize in hindsight that I'm just so lucky to not have been raped. Like it's any one of us who hasn't been raped, we're just lucky. Yeah. So are you very conscious of... Back to my show. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> well, I, w- I was going to take it back to the show, but just in the sense of you try to tackle those issues a lot in the show. Like that's very present in your mind, like women's sexuality. and Yeah, and I stuff. just... And also like um, I... I had like really bad anxiety as a kid and like kind of this like OCD, like sex body shame that, that came from nowhere, not my parents. It was just, yeah. and it was very like secretive and I felt like I was the only one who was feeling it. And later in life, I learned that other people had this like kind of compulsive, mm-hmm. these compulsive tendencies that I had as a kid. And I was like, God, it would have been so much better if I'd just been honest. And I actually, I got coffee with one of my middle school bullies. Whoa. And she was like, I'm so sorry of how mean I was. I was miserable. She was like, I was miserable. And I was like, I was miserable. How how much more amazing would that have been if we'd all sat down and been like, I'm miserable. (laughs) Totally. And so I- how did that coffee come about? She came to one of my shows in LA and was like, I want to take you out to coffee. Wow. Yeah. Like it had been weighing on her? She'd gone through some life things. Uh She, um, she was, she'd been working in porn. Okay. And- it wasn't her speed necessarily. And so she was trying to like get out of porn and um, go some like other routes. Uh-huh. And she was just like being really reflective about her life. She was like four years sober. Okay. And she, she, we were just talking about like being unhappy and she's like, oh my God, I was, and she was like the coolest girl in middle school. And hearing her be like, I was miserable. Like I realized like, oh, we had so much in common. We were both miserable. I wish we'd just been honest. Yeah. And Too bad kids are just so un you know, a form. Yeah. That way. And by the way, like, just for the record, for you can be in porn and be happy. She just was she not wasn't. happy in porn. Yeah. Um, just to be clear, <laughs> I'm but- very sex positive, <laughs> very pro porn industry. Yes. Very pro sex worker. But was part of you also trying not to have some kind of little petty pleasure? No, no. Couple- she was so apologetic okay. and like, that's the thing is like you, you can't be angry anymore when someone exposes their humanity. Yeah. You like know? the second she did that, you were over it. Yeah. Like yeah. once you take into account the nuances of human nature, it's hard to be angry at people, which is right. why like black and white thinking is so dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that's why I think, I think a, a lot of the shows like thesis statement is like people are just people and we all have like secrets. And if we would just be open and honest about them and, and honest about the fact we're not perfect in our quirks, it takes away a secret's power yeah, and it takes away its power over you. So that's how I feel good about myself is I air things out. Mm-hmm. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, because, like, what's the point of, I don't know, keeping things secret? And, I, and again, I have boundary issues in regards to, I think, like, sometimes I maybe air things I shouldn't, but it's the way I feel healthy. Because you regret airing them sometimes, or you just feel like society in general is telling you you shouldn't air all of those things? Um, no. I just, you know, some of my friends and my husband aren't necessarily as forthcoming <laughs> as I am. So around friends when I'm just like, oh my God, the other night we were fucking. And he's like, hey, uh, shut up. And I'm like, oh, you're right. You're that's like, right. Boundaries. Right. Okay, right. That's, private, remember, that's, pri- that's private time. You're did right. you ever do stand-up comedy? I did, yeah. And- now when I perform, it's like a hybrid of music and stand-up. I'd say it's like, I need to update my set. But I'd say it's like 75% um, percent music and then fi- fi- you know, 25%. Yeah, 25%. Yeah, the math is right. I was, yeah. like, I was like, fuck. <laughs> but it's like these, these um, occupational hazards are like very, you know, present in all of the things that you do, comedy, songwriting, writing, you know, and so like put them all together. It's like you're bound to of airing too much of air too much. Yeah. It's just what it's like. It's purging. It's it's getting things. It's the fountain. Yeah. And yeah. and I fear being crazy. And um, and so like, what does that mean? Well, I've, you know, dealt with depression and anxiety. Uh-huh. It um, runs in my family. Okay. And I think, um, the fear of like, there's, there's just been like, there have been a lot of ups and downs on, um, both sides of my family Mm -hmm. and the fear of like, uh, inheriting that the fear, just, just that fear in, in general is very, very palpable. Yeah. And the way that I get control of it is just be like, fuck it. I'm crazy. So that way the crazy doesn't sneak up on me. I sneak up on the crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that sort of tipped me off when I first started watching crazy ex-girlfriend that this was going to be much deeper than just a musical, a fun, lighthearted musical. And that there were going to be many layers. I mean, I think it was the first episode where you, where you're taking, I guess anti you're trying to get rid of the antidepressants and then you don't get rid of them. Yeah. Or I can't remember exactly what happens, but the fact that the, you're dealing with mm-hmm. aspects of depression in this, what I thought was going to be just, you know, a kind of comedy. Like, sure. Um, well, it's, it's the yes ending the premise where it's like, if a person actually did this, cause we're doing a fucked up romantic comedy, what would it take? And the answer is she'd probably be on meds. Right. And not to hide that. No. Yeah. yeah I mean, us, it's just from the it's audience. Just, it's just real. Right. right. That's so the thing. Has this moment in your life been trying for the anxiety and all of that stuff? I would think it's a hell of a lot. The year that we made the pilot yeah. was also the year I was planning my wedding. Whoa. And yeah. And I went and saw, I was having problems with insomnia. Um, I had a lot of trouble getting to sleep like the night before. The week, the week that we pitched the show. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so we we're. I remember the next day we were pitching to FX and, and a couple other places and I didn't sleep at all, which was the first time that it happened, like, ever. And it was the type of thing where it's like, why aren't you sleeping? Why aren't you sleeping? You dumb bitch, why aren't you sleeping? And then, and then you'll then, never sleep. Exactly. Yeah. And then so then I was sleep-deprived, and the next night I took, like, half a sleeping pill because I was afraid of sleeping pills. I'd never taken one before. And so then I got, like, six hours, which wasn't amazing. And then the next night I got, like, an hour and a half again. So 
So that set off kind of like a chain of events where suddenly that sleep anxiety brought up all these these other compulsions and anxieties I had had. Uh-huh. And what it eventually became, which is what it became when I was 11, 12, is anxiety about having anxiety. Mm. Where it's like, I'm feeling anxious right now. I'm always going to feel gonna this way. Anxious. I'm going to get anxious. And, you, and you, you don't even codify it as like anxious, 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 because anxiety kind of makes it sound like, oh, anxiety. I'm like, I'm nervous about a test. It... It's like a dark place. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's like literally the dark place. So I, I was having trouble with that and I went to a psychiatrist for the first time and it was great because I'd been going to therapists and, but I'd been going to like therapists who were on my health plan who like I didn't, and I didn't do much research. You can find a great therapist on your health plan. I was just lazy. Yeah. And so I picked like, like the alphabetical. first person I find and, and I finally found like, I went and did research and I found a psychiatrist who worked for me. Um, and, and that's then not I talk, started, right? Huh? Or was that talk, you know, back and forth discussion with, with you your mean, psychiatrist? With the research I did? No, like a therapist. I, I always think of a, a psychiatrist can of, prescribe meds. Right. But I they wanted, also, yeah, they, it's also talk. Um, so I do like cognitive behavioral therapy and stuff, but he's, I also just like being with a doctor. I'm a Jew. So the idea of like, yeah. I'm with a medical doctor right, 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 right now. And the thing is. He took me, when I saw him, he was like, okay. And I told him kind of my entire history. And he was like, listen, it sounds like you have a naturally low uh, dose of, I think it's, is it serotonin? Which uh-huh. is, yeah. he's like, look, and he drew a line on a whiteboard. He was like, here's where like, quote unquote, normal serotonin is. Here's where yours is. So whenever you don't get sleep or whenever you're stressed out, you're going to have a worse reaction. And so I'm oh, on- Because you're already starting at a deficit. Yeah, you're already starting at yeah. a deficit. So so I'm on 10 milligrams of Prozac. It wasn't, I didn't feel numb at all. It was just like a little, a little bit of something where I was like, oh, I can bounce back a little easier. Yeah. And so um, that whole year was really learning. What I really learned, my problem with anxiety was I always tried to solve it. Mm. And I still do this where it's like, I'm feeling anxious right now. Why am I feeling anxious right now? Well, I'm feeling anxious about this performance because, well, it, it leads to fear of my childhood. And it's like, okay, you've already done the work. You've done the work in therapy. Yeah. The whole cure for it is digging yourself out of that ditch and being present, which uh-huh. I thought I'd never say. Every time someone talked about like being present, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, go back to your cult. Um, but the idea of just being in the moment and like training your mind not to overanalyze things is the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like retraining your mind how to work. Um, especially for a Jew. Especially not for a Jew. Not to bring it back to that, but to not overanalyze. But I gotta say, and I never thought I'd say this, a bunch of my friends had gone into meditation because I live in LA. Sure. And Also me. Yep, and I started doing it. And I gotta say, like, it's not woo-woo. I don't think that I go to a different place when I do it. It's a very simple, like, just, it, it's a way to keep yourself present that, like, it kind of retrains your brain. Yeah. My transcendental. I, I had trans. Yeah, I do TM. Yeah. And I had a voice teacher who's um, just this great guy who moved to North Carolina since. Um, I don't. You don't care. But just FYI, he's in North Carolina now. Um, he's great, and he was like um, really cool, like new, like new age Christian dude. And he was like, "Look, he's like, when a bird flies into a barn." you don't suddenly make a home for it. You can just tell the bird to get out of the barn. It's That's like a not, nice one. Like not every thought that comes into your head, you have to suddenly service and yeah. be like, why am yeah. I having this thought right now? It's the same thing with text messages. Like if someone texts you, it doesn't mean like <laughs> stop what you're doing yes. and, and service this person who's yes. texting you. Yes, you, it can wait. <laughs> it might as well be an email. Yes, 
this point. <laughs> Separately, that directed at me. No, this is direct, this is just how I operate, and I wish the world operated that way. And I think it should. It's so funny. It you say, it's so funny you say that because that's only, anxiety. In, in, yes, in, yes, it's, in, it's anxiety, and like not a, there are some things that deserve anxiety. And there are some things that, especially with creative people, that like you can channel that to, like overthinking about a story. Like, mm-hmm. okay, you can channel it, but when it comes to like, why am I suddenly feeling like this? Oh my god, does it mean I'm crazy? I'm crazy. I'm crazy. That's not productive. And it's right. taken me twenty eight years to learn that, and it's still something I have to practice every day. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of, but but actually, it helped write the pilot because you notice in the first. Uh, kind of bit of the pilot, Rebecca's, she's up, she hasn't slept, and you see her computer is like, how long can a person go without sleep? That's just like based on me. Yeah. Where it's like you're zonked, you're too depressed and tired to sleep, and so you just zone out on the internet by online shopping or whatever, and it's like, and also looking at a computer screen put yourself in a perpetual state of daytime, which is why my psychiatrist suggested I get something called efflux on my computer. It takes out the blues on your computer at night. Oh my God, I need that. Yes, so you should not be on a computer (laughs) or your iPhone at night because it's a blue light that tells you that it's daytime. Uh Oh my God. Yeah, it's great. So It's a great (laughs) filter, efflux. I think it's free. Um, And so yeah, it's been a real like journey of self-discovery. And now the trick is like, okay, I did all that analysis work. I know what the solution is. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes my over-analytical mind wants to be like, well, why am I, oh my God, if I do this, will it be, and it's like, you know what the solution is. And it's just to like, you've already solved this. Yeah, You've you've spent 28 years solving this. Solving it anymore only digs you deeper. Mm -hmm. And so it's been really weird to kind of get into that. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Billboard. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fascinating um, that during a time of the most probably, you know, aside from you were also getting married and in love, but the most rewarding, fulfilling, exciting time in your career when this thing is starting, that that doesn't eliminate the possibility of this anxiety. You know, it, it doesn't no. operate that way. No, because but, it's, it's mine to lose. Right. But that's the fear, right? Is right. that I'm mm-hmm. going to fuck this up. Yeah. Right. So... How I want to work up to that though a little bit. So you're at Tish. Yo, cool. <laughs> and I because it's funny. I think I personally, and I, I, I'm guessing Jesse will agree. I would have wanted to have you here on this podcast if you had only been a YouTube sensation. Rachel Bloom does stuff um, from your YouTube videos oh. because they are phenomenal. Um, so I'm curious to ask you as a YouTube star separately mm-hmm. um do you have because you started college in 2005 yeah okay so that was the year youtube came out right yeah so i'm curious if you have a memory of like what is this like seeing it for the first time and experiencing this completely revolutionary medium that now has led to where we are today i think the first youtube video i saw was lazy sunday because someone mm. was like, have you seen this SNL song? Wait, really? And I was like, no. And they were like, you can watch it online. And someone showed it to me. That was it on their me. phone? That was Lonely that Island? That makes sense, though. iPhones weren't out. No, iPhones weren't out until 2007. iPod. Someone had it on their iPod that they had downloaded. But it was technically the first YouTube video I ever saw. And then I think the Lonely Island stuff, I remember watching their stuff in... Uh, as a freshman in college, their original stuff. Uh-huh. So it was like um, Just Two Guys, um, was it Stork Patrol, My Pants. Like they have a bunch of old old stuff before they got on stuff SNL. Stuff that they then yeah. put on. Yeah. Do well, you remember feeling 
anything? Do, I don't remember experiencing YouTube for the first time, but but I'm curious just because it's such a big part of your yeah. career. If it if it was a if it was a moment for you. Well, I was on the same sketch group as a lot of the guys from Derek Comedy, the guys who did Bro Rape and Spelling Bee, and they had like big sketches and uh. and they they released sketches in 2006, and I knew them, and I remember them doing a. Um, a table read of bro rape at my like college sketch thing. Cause originally it was going to be like a sketch within my college sketch group. And then it wasn't. And I remember the summer I was, I was away that summer, but it was like, Oh, have you heard this thing that they posted? And I was like, Oh wow. They just like made that sketch and posted it <laughs> and people can see it. That, that idea of like, you can just make something and you don't have to get approval because you can just have a camera now. Yeah. Or people doing so that on MySpace? The game. Was MySpace a comedy? MySpace thing did at all? have video. Did it have comedy? I don't feel oh, like I was, and I remember MySpace Music. Yeah, yeah, which is still there, right? Which is so weird. <laughs> is but yeah, yeah, I mean, I remember Who's using that. I don't know. I remember like those were the first. Yeah, I mean, and then I'm trying to remember what went viral. I think well, I'm fucking Matt Damon was the first oh, YouTube right. moment that I had. Right. Whoa. Right. Yeah. You don't remember yours? No, no, I don't. And it's you pose so the question. I you know. I, I'm posed the question <laughs> well, because I also don't yeah. have it, and it's so strange because it feels like it's always been here. I can't so remember funny, a time yeah. that it wasn't, and it's funny that I don't remember a time when it was like, "Whoa, this thing." Because, you remember like, a time when it wasn't. You're not that young. <laughs> no, no, no. I remember, but, but it doesn't feel like in my adult life. It doesn't feel like there was a time before it, and it, right, and okay. I, I feel like it would have been this like, "Holy shit!" Like we can just like do this. Well, you know? I think, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it, 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 oh, also like Will Ferrell's landlord, right? That was the big funnier yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think, I'm trying would to you say that, that YouTube felt. kind of enabled the career trajectory that you've had? I mean, it has. I just stopped, that's what people started to do yeah. around, because I was affiliated with a lot of people at UCB in New York, uh-huh. and that's what people were doing, is yeah. they would everything like started to get a digital wing. Like UCB got a digital wing and it was like, here's what you do when you want to establish yourself as a, as a comedian. UCB uh-huh. got a digital wing? Yeah, UCB. Wow, in like 2010? In like 2009? In 2000... That's cool. Uh, nine. It was called Beta Teams. Now they have UCB Digital, which is just UCB Digital. I don't know if they're teams anymore. That's so great. But they had this thing called Beta Teams. And I just remembered like, okay, the web thing seems to be in in like, it was it was congruous with like also just establishing a name for yourself as a comedian, and I wanted to be my own one person sketch group. Right, and so at, what, at this point, you had already transitioned from saying to yourself, "I want to be a Broadway star." How did that happen? Well, I mean- yeah. So a couple things. I got into school, and first of all, I really felt like I didn't fit in in my musical theater program. Why? Well, a lot of the kids knew each other because they'd done the Tish Summer High. Oh, so I automatically What's felt. That? I thought I read you did Cap. I did Cap uh, College. Okay, because I did Cap Summer. So you so that's were different. the fuckers who... <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So you did, I didn't get into Tish. So, so, so a lot <laughs> of the people in Cap were people who'd done Cap Summer High School, so they like knew each other. Yeah. And also there were 80 kids. Fuckers. Way too many kids for a musical theater program. And so I felt very like nondescript. The other thing was, a lot of these kids were more talented than I was. And that's when... Um, there's this great saying, laziness is a form of fear. That really strikes home with mm-hmm. me. So for instance, last night on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, we did a song called I Could If I Wanted To. And it's Greg's kind of slacker anthem. I love that, anthem. by the way. That was Thank like, you. Amazing. That was me in college because what I would do to a certain extent is not practice for school. 
because my main fear was what if I try my best and I still don't get a part? Totally. That fundamentally means I'm not talented, mm-hmm. right? It was very black and white. But if I don't try for this audition, because right. like, who the fuck cares and I don't get it, then who the fuck cares? I never cared in the first place. Right, I would have beasted all of you, but I didn't try, so Yeah, fuck I didn't try because I like other things to do. <laughs> and so that definitely held me back a little. And then I got onto this sketch comedy group and because sketch comedy hadn't been my dream for 18 years. There was less to lose. I went into it with no expectations and I was okay being the least funny person on the group and I was okay trying my best at at sketch comedy and failing because there were no stakes. When did you know you were funny? Well, I always wanted to do comedic musical theater and I was on comedy sports when I was in school, uh, high school, because we had a comedy sports team. Oh, but, you just failed to mention that. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. I, was, I, I did comedy sports what? in high school. Yeah, Comedy sports? It was so fun. We didn't have that at my school. <laughs> it was real fun because well, comedy sports uh, started in LA. Okay. So it was this thing where people from comedy sports would come and train high schools and then- What does that mean? Um, okay. Comedy sports is competitive short form improv <laughs> where Whoa. you literally- like, bat- like battling. You literally have baseball shirts and you do it on AstroTurf and there's a referee. It wow. likes like improv games. Yeah, I okay. was on varsity comedy sports. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Wait, was there a JV team? Uh yeah. And I went straight to varsity. <gasps> Fuck yeah. Uh yeah. So you were an athlete basically. Cool. Uh yeah. Good for you. Amazing. <laughs> wow. So that's Okay, so comedy that- so you had you were doing uh musical theater and comedy simultaneously in high school. Yeah, although you know again, it's like because comedy was so new, it didn't have the stakes. The musical theater had. It wasn't your passion. That's a very new thing, I think, that people feel like they can go into improv and get famous from it. Yeah, like Like just just in the last few years. It also wasn't my crew. Like, I was a musical theater person. I wasn't necessarily a comedy person, you know? I wasn't wasn't up late. I loved SNL, but I wasn't like up late memorizing every SNL sketch. Preparing for your audition for Lauren. Yeah, exactly. Like, that just wasn't where my head was at. So, comedy just felt so fresh. And it was like, I don't have to worry about failing here. I can fail and it's okay. And then it got you to your dream. Right. So was there a moment um, in college where the music and the comedy came together in a, in a light bulb moment? Well, I took a musical theater writing class and I did a couple sketches that were musical. It was fun. Here's what I remember. I remember I wanted to do a, I wanted to do a pitch a sketch show to UCB. The structure of which would be that I was a, it was a the musical a chorus line, uh-huh. and that every sketch would be based on someone's monologue in a chorus line. And then finally, I was like, "Well, you got to have a song." And I was like, "What's a good idea for like? Okay, so we've done this whole sketch show where like no one's done a song. Finally, someone's actually going to bear their soul in song, but they're just going to talk about their love of the movie Space Jam." <laughs> so that started out as a sketch idea, and then I remember, I remember with my director Caitlin talking about the song we were like, and she was like oh yeah it's basically almost like a stand-up number about space jam but you're singing it and then i remember talking to my boyfriend who's now my husband uh being like oh we can have all these jokes and i got together with my friend mikey who wrote music and we wrote this song space jam and so i'm about to pitch the show and my boyfriend was we were driving cross country to la when he was moving and i was like do you want to hear the space jam song and i played it for him and he was like this is amazing and your whole show should be this he was like who the f-? he's like everyone's doing sketch comedy no one's doing this. And I was like, you're right. Ding. And I yep. remember that was the moment where I was like, I think. Oh my God. And that was, so then that year I was like, well, I want to establish myself as my own sketch group. Maybe I'll establish myself with like an, interlo- an internet music video. And there was a song that I'd written in college a year and a half before 
So this is post-college. This is post-college, okay. right after I graduated. Okay. And there was a song that I'd written my junior year called Fuck Me Ray Bradbury that I just kind of put away. Just for yourself? You yeah, wrote I it? wrote it at home. My, when you're doing sketch comedy, you just kind of think of ideas all the time, good or not. And so I was like tinkering around on the piano in my parents' house over a summer vacation. And I wrote this like Fuck Me Ray Bradbury song. It was really funny. And then, so I remember, so, so we, this is what happened. So you drive across country and he's like, you should do this. This is like this, this musical sketch. This is up your alley. You were both moving to LA? Uh, he was. We were long distance for a year. Okay. And then I'd been reading Carol Burnett's autobiography called One More Time. And she talks about- By the about, way, that's a straight line between yeah. the two of you. So Very clear. So by the way, I just had lunch with her the other day. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So wait, I'll get to that. Wait, let's get back to that, please. Yeah. Okay. So I was reading her autobiography and the way she got her big break- was she did a cabaret, like a, a cabaret night with this. She lived in an apartment building in New York City. I want to say this was the four, no, 40s or 50s with all actresses. And they decided to just put on their own cabaret night. They were tired of like waiting for someone to cast them. Uh-huh. And she sang a song that someone wrote for her about loving uh, John Foster Dulles, who at the time was the mm, Dulles Airport's named after him. He was yeah. some... Some politician, I forget what he did. I'm I'm an idiot. And that's like what got her big. And I was like, and I read that and I was like, oh my God, that reminds me of that like song that I wrote about Ray Bradbury. Huh. And I like percolated on that. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if my song might hit in the same way her song did. And that's what inspired to do me to do Fuck Me Ray oh Bradbury. My God. So cut to like a week ago, Donald and Champlin, who's in my show, who plays Paula played Carol Burnett in the show Hollywood Arms, which was a Broadway show based on One More Time, wow. the autobiography that I read. And so she's like, Carol's a massive fan of the show. So we went up, we went up and had lunch with her. Oh, God. And one of the things I said, it was an amazing lunch. First of all, Carol Burnett felt like it was, she was just hanging out with like she was totally a college friend. Oh. Yeah. She, I was like, what are your favorite shows? She was like, I love House of Cards. Ugh. I love The Grinder. Cool. Like she she watches just grinder. like she watches just like cool comedies. <laughs> and I was and I told her like the John Foster Della story. Yeah. And she and anyway, it was oh, she's man. amazing. That's crazy. She's amazing. What a, what a full, full circle. circle. And then you walk into she has like this um beautiful awards room. Her, and it's her like I feel room. I feel good about like my little golden globe. And I walk in, five <laughs> golden globes, six Emmys. Kennedy oh, Center on Give it time, lady. Give Mark it time. Mark Ray, just, like, but doesn't it make you feel like, okay, this is- uh, this You is got one path. in your first year. Right. Okay, <laughs> relax. Yes. No, no, no. You're but doing it, fine. No, no, no. And it was just amazing. It was amazing to meet her. And honestly, the whole time, because I was there with Donalyn and Aline, my co-creator, we just asked her about the day-to-day of running her show. Because yeah. her show was on for 11 so years. So different. And so I was fascinated with like the writing process mm-hmm. and the rehearsal process and the improv process. And- Oh man, she was telling stories about Tim Conway. It was it was so fucking cool. Wow, yeah, that's awesome. Oh my god, did she epic. give you good advice? You don't have to share it. But. No, it, just her stories. Like, I mean, what I learned from her was like she's just a lovely human being. Yeah, and so the, this that's whole, the key. This right. whole idea of like, oh, you're in Hollywood, you're an asshole. I mean the. The people that I like working with aren't assholes. Yeah, yeah, they're nice, and it's it's so nice to remember. Like we need to be consciously reminded that there were there are there have been funny women, hilarious women running shit. Yeah, no, it's not a new thing. Yeah, <laughs> but but that they sometimes you got to do it for yourself. You gotta yeah. If no one's giving you the parts you want, you write them. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. 
So when you came back around to Fuck Me Ray Bradbury, then what was the process of producing that? Because when were all the songs then, then did it just start flowing? Like how did it take us through that? I'll tell you exactly what happened. I had this song, Fuck Me Ray Bradbury. I had a melody and chords that I tinkered with on the piano. I was like, I want to make this in a music video. And my boyfriend was like, oh, you know, my friend Jack, who I'd met like once or twice, he's like, he's a professional musician. I bet he could help you produce this song. And Jack was like, oh yeah, I'll help you produce it. So he and I got together and we tinkered with the chords that I had. And he was like, oh, on the bridge, I think it should be this chord structure instead of S is for space. And I was like, great idea. <laughs> and so he took me to a recording studio and we recorded the song and we got out and he was like, oh, you're, you're really talented. And I was like, thanks, Jack. And so he helped me produce this song and realize the track. Um, I pitched the song to my friend Paul Berganti, who at the time was working in a sketch group, Landline TV. Paul's now a very reputable TV director. And I originally I was picturing it almost like a hipstery thing, like uh-huh. walking down the street in New York. And I think it didn't work out with Landline, but Paul was like, I still want to direct it and maybe we can feature it on Landline and get it featured some places. And it was Jack and my boyfriend who were like, you know, we were thinking about like the best way to do this music video and what if you picked like an established music video to satirize visually? Yeah. And they were mm-hmm. like, what if it was like baby one more time? And I was like, that's such a great <laughs> idea. And so then I wrote up the script with that idea in mind, uh-huh. um, went into pre, what could be called pre-production, which was me just like looking for a space. <laughs> I happened to have been in a sketch that shot in an, um, an old Catholic school in Brooklyn. Now they don't rent it out anymore, but basically that it would, they'd rent it out to you for a donation. So I paid this Catholic school, this entire Catholic school, $200 wow. to let me use the space for a day. Did they ask you what the content was going to be? So I was, like, it's a, I was like, it's a love song to Ray Bradbury. And my friend helped me put together a censored version of the song in case the priest showed up oh my God. and judged us. Yeah. The priest ended up showing up and seeing everything and he was cool. Awesome. I don't know. Cool. New York City. Got a cool priest. Yeah. yeah. So we made the music video in April. I used all my money to make it. I was a horrible producer. I got, I told everyone to be there at like 6 a.m. I got there at 6.30 because I was like, I forgot coffee. Because uh, I was also, I didn't like think to have a PA. Yeah. Really think disorganized. Think like, really disorganized. And, and we shot it and then it took a couple months to edit it because it was never perfect enough. And then I wanted at one point animation where Ray Bradbury rides <laughs> Man, a rocket. We're dreaming big, girl. And so my friend Adam Conover, who I knew kind of from UCB, who's now the host of the show, Adam Ruins Everything, He's like, I do kind of animation. And so like I paid him, I think, 150 bucks to draw for me. By the time I wanted to release it in like May or June, but I've been dilly-dallying. And I was like, oh, Ray Bradbury's birthday is in August. And LA does this whole thing, Ray Bradbury month, Ray Bradbury week. And I was like, oh, I'll just release it then. And that's partially why it went viral. Holy shit. Was because it was Ray Bradbury week. And that went on to Funny or Die. So I got it. Hold on, sip water. <laughs> Great. All right. Oh, no. Um, I'll finish this. We'll get there. So. Oh yeah, because I gotta go. You have a thing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um. Whew. So. Ray using, Bradbury. Using week. connections. So I have this thing. I'm ready to release it. My friend Nicole, who was a producer for the sketch group Landline that Paul worked on, was like, "Here's what you do. Release the video on a Monday. Get as many websites to put it on their front page as possible, and." She gave me the contact info for the person who ran UCB Comedy, and she's like, email them and just be like, I made this video, would love your thoughts. Yeah. And sure enough, they were like, we love this, we'll put it up, we're featuring on our front page. 
I had a friend who uh, saw me at a stand-up show who had a contact of Funny or Die. I got it on the front page of Funny or Die. There you go. I submitted it to College Humor. College Humor put it on their front page. So it was like all Boom. of these little connections. Yeah. And then it just and went kind of viral. And it's also, Brandon, it's also like, uh, to the to the point you made earlier about like not wanting to put yourself out there for fear of failure, you did the opposite with this. You were like, I know that I'm badass at this. I have this. I'm talented and, I, and I'm going to give it my all. You didn't, you took yourself seriously with it from the beginning. Like that first video, it's not DIY. Like you could have done a DIY version of this. And sure. from your first video, it's not. Well, Paul Rondeau, the cinematographer of it, I had a, other friends who did work with him and he's just such a great one man band cinematographer still in New York that like, I was like, oh, if I'm doing a music video, I might as well make it look great, especially if I'm yeah. satirizing one more time. Right. Yeah. If I want the satire to work, it has to look as good as a music video. Right. Um, and the other thing was, because it was comedy music, I felt like there was such a drought in like edgy comedy music. Uh-huh. I didn't feel like there was a ton of competition. Yeah. So I went emotionally easy on myself. <laughs> like I was like, well, I'm doing something new. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. That's good philosophy. And yeah. then and then Do something the, the, new and see. Right, exactly. Yeah. And the satirizing then became part of the the yeah. the brand. Yeah. yeah. The idea of taking one thing and another, although like flipping it on its head. Heavy boobs thing. right now, which was on last week's episode, is not necessarily I just when I wrote it, I just pictured this kind of like because the the style of it is like kind of Beyonce, but like not but it's also this like kind of um like old school hip hop feel. So I was yeah. like Oh, like high waisted shorts, t shirt, but like there was no real like model for it necessarily. Yeah. So you just need a specific vision. Yeah. Was there a specific reference for Jap rap battle? Um just kind of rap battles yeah, in general. general. Okay. And then um Zach Sherwin, who wrote the lyrics, had based it a little bit well, he based the original chorus on Drake's um back to back, which Adam Schlesinger uh had a new, like more I think up tempo chorus. Yeah. But that one was just like, we shot that in a night. We were all it's sick. fucking brilliant. We shot it at yeah. 1 a.m. It killed me. And yeah. Okay. Maybe. So let's wrap it up because yes. sadly we have to. All right. So I'm maybe on Colbert. That's why I got to go. Oh. Well, okay. when's this, we'll when's this, when's this going to air? Um, this is going to air the Friday before the season finale. Right. I, I'm going to be on Colbert and we're doing a musical bit. So I got to go rehearse. Woo, Boom. Woo, woo. All right. Anything you can tell us about season two? Ah, uh, it's oh. Is she still chasing Josh? <laughs> Let's just say when when Rebecca's fully happy, the show's over. Yeah, so, word. All right. Is that so, a life lesson? Does yeah. that apply for life? Sometimes? Yeah. When you're fully happy, you should kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and Yay. on that note, Rachel Blue. Thank you so much. Thanks Woo. for joining the Don't show. Don't kill yourself. Bye. I got them heavy boobs, heavy boobs. Dance like dying stars. I got them heavy boobs, heavy boobs. I can't run real far. Let me break down what I just said. Each of my double D's has the volume of a toddler's head. Now bitching about my boobies, they look super flying shirts. But if I swung them in your face, you'd be like, oh my God, that hurts. I'm blind. Holy crap. I literally can't see. I have permanent retinal damage. I'm suing you and your heavy boobies. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.